you have to be very aware of the budget when you're making a film, especially documentaries. There's no room for overruns. You don't have the big Hollywood budgets. And it's allowed me to where I'm proud to say uh, I have rarely gone over budget. In fact, I've never gone over budget on a film unless there's been a reason that, you know, where the producer asked us to do something different. But it's really a pleasure because I find the creative side of directing, writing and producing film is, is almost an outlet uh, similar to, you know, someone painting or something when, when the finance part gets crazy because the finance industry is, is very stressful. And so yeah. I, I really enjoyed being able to do both. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest will inspire you of Cherokee ancestry uh, and the co-founder and president of Known Holdings, a financial services growth platform focused on eliminating the racial wealth gap. Our guest today is also the CFO at the East Bay Community Foundation. She's a CEO and founder of Red Horse Financial Group, CEO, founder of Red Horse Nation Productions. She has more than 25 years of senior leadership experience in financial services, asset management, and investment banking. She also, through this Renaissance woman, tremendous leader in our country, is a film and television producer, director, and writer. She also teaches two courses on entrepreneurship for racial equity and social impact at Stanford. She serves on four boards, three as the chair, and was inducted into the National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO Hall of Fame in 2008. 
please welcome with me, open your hearts to this amazing leader, Valerie Redhorse Mole. I'm so glad to have you as our guest today. Oh, Julie, thank you so much. That was very kind and generous. And I hope you know I'm a huge fan of yours and the work you do uh, in your entire organization. So it's my delight to be here uh, sharing the stage with another Renaissance woman. Well, thank you. There's so much we get to talk about. I can't wait to dive in. But first, your illustrious career has to have had a couple ups, a couple ups and downs, I would think. What do you have a theme song that you whip out when you need it, either to celebrate or to help you lift you up? Absolutely. And it's almost as if you just read my mind. So I'm a woman of faith and I do a lot of prayer uh, before going into stressful situations. And you can imagine being in film and finance. I've had to make some pretty scary presentations, uh, mostly boards with all men. And okay. before I walk in, I usually play a song that's based on a Bible verse, uh, but also has to do with my culture. And it's called On Eagle's Wings. And the idea is to give you the strength of those wings of eagles. And honestly, I feel uh, when I hear those words and, and just have that with me, I walk into a room and interestingly enough, many of the people in those meetings later told me I didn't look nervous or, or scared at all. And I was literally shaking, you know, so it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, like, I see you soaring like an eagle all the time. So that's a perfect that to me, that feels like it's just a perfect song for you. And and so thank you for sharing that. So in the introduction, you're an investor a board member, a teacher, a filmmaker. You're also a mom and a wife. How do you manage all of that? And, and do you have to prioritize sometimes? How do you how do you manage across all, and a community leader and an activist? I mean, so many things, the list goes on. Like many women, I, I work on passion and, and who has just one passion, right? And so uh, over the years, that's sort of been my, yardstick of, of what I want to do. And it's things that I'm extremely passionate about. And unfortunately, I'm passionate about many, many things. But I think I like to use the analogy of an apple pie, which happens to be my husband's favorite dessert. But if you think about all the things you have to do, as all those pieces of apples and, and you know, good gunk in the middle, um, you have to have a foundation. And there are many pies that have both a crust on the bottom and the top. And I have found that I had to have a foundation that really is comprised of faith and family that really grounds me. It includes prayer. It includes quiet time. And then I'm able to really organize those pieces of the apple pie so that they're not just falling all over the place. And and some are going to be larger slices at any given time. And we have to understand that there's times when your family has to take priority and other times your work does and other times self-care does, even though that's usually the last. But I, I really think for me, without a strong foundation, I would be a mess. And and so I can't tell you that I do manage my time really well. I do think as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser, uh, I'm better at it. But again, uh, I think for anyone, it's it's not about an app or a scheduling you know, system. Those are, can be helpful. It really is about your own foundation and really staying very grounded. Was this something that came from your family, the your commitment to faith and the way that it's showing up for you? Like, where, What's the genesis of that? That, that's an interesting story. So no, uh, my mother 
was a lovely woman, and I believe she was a faithful woman, but it wasn't a part of her life. She had been scarred as a young girl with sort of weird organized religion, which I completely understand. And so she decided to uh, not practice religion, but she was very much into sort of what I would call that the impact movement before it was defined, you know, so she was an activist and uh, anti-war, anti-chemicals. And so she lived her values and I learned a lot from her, but I came to find my faith on my own. Um, At the age of nine, I, I walked into a church in my neighborhood, which happened to be my neighborhood growing up was a Mexican immigrant farm working community. I was in Fresno, California, so central California. And for some reason, an Armenian immigrant community. So talk about diversity at an early age. Um, But I walked into a church that was a bilingual Armenian speaking church. I knew nothing about it and just really understood immediately that it was something that I was drawn to. And and from then on out became very faithful. And now I, you know, lead Bible studies. and, And actually I'm very disappointed with sort of the media and kind of what's happened to the Christian faith. It's a, it should be about love and non-judgment. And so I hope that we can those of us that have faith can set examples that really show that what the media and some people are doing in the name of the of Christianity aren't, aren't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Thank you for giving that perspective. I think so many, I think it's out of vogue to be talking about, you know, our faith often. And I love that that is something that you lead with. I feel like, you know, you and I got to spend some time together recently with, with some dear friends of ours talking about love, hope, and justice. And, you know, if, if you have a cornerstone where you, you know, where you stand and your values are really clear, I think everything else, the apple pie falls into place much more easily. So, and, you know, Julie, I, I did find it so refreshing to be around people that I, I met through you where we could talk about love in, in the greater sense, not just love between two people that live in the same house, but, you know, love for humanity and love for one another. And I, you don't hear it spoken of. I think it gets a bad rap that that's sort of, I don't know, weak or Soft something. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's but the most powerful thing in the world. It is absolutely yes. the most transformative, powerful thing in the world. Yeah. How did you get started in finance, Val? Like, was that your undergrad? Is that something you always knew you wanted to do? Like, tell us that story. You know, I'm glad we started off with faith because I do think some of the events in my life that led to me being a professional and a leader in both film and finance uh, were part of God's plan for me because you can't always say, oh, yeah, I planned this thing to happen, you know. But I, at the age of 13, uh, with my mother's sort of influence of being an activist, realized I wanted to be engaged. She taught me whatever you believe in, and she didn't force me to believe in her principles. It was really find your own path, but whatever you believe in, you need to be engaged and you need to be uh, stand up for those principles. And so I knew I wanted to be an activist. At about 13, I realized that film was very powerful in terms of conveying messages and, and really changing people's minds. And so I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker and went to UCLA uh, majoring in film and television and and loved it. But while I was there, I interviewed for a position that literally had been posted on the wall of the UCLA uh, film department. I remember later thinking, this person could have been speaking Chinese to me because I had no idea what he said. But basically, he said, we're hiring someone because um, I'm bringing out the high yield leverage finance department from Drexel, Burnham, Lambert in New York, and we plan to really expand uh, leverage finance. Bonds, high yield bonds. I mean, I, I was a theater film major, you know. Yeah. 
And it turned out that it was Mike Milken who was interviewing me and he was bringing out an entire department that literally changed the landscape of finance in this country. And I was there, I think it was the third or fourth hire. And I later, you know, have told people it was my MBA because I learned everything I possibly could learn. And what was interesting when I think of God's planning, we financed a lot of casinos on in, in Las Vegas and Steve Wynn, all of his work, you know. And so I learned how to finance through leverage finance casino hospitality projects. And then later in 1988, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act passed, giving tribes the are recognizing our right to operate casinos and hospitality projects. So that really led to me starting the investment bank to assist with the financing of tribal casinos. Wow. So do you see that there's an overlap ever with the two? Like, is it the, your financial experience has allowed you to be a producer of films or, you know, they, they seem like completely different things. What are the similarities or the shared skills? Um, I think the topics for one thing, you know, I'm really working with um, passion projects that that have meaning for me. But beyond that, from a pragmatic standpoint, you have to be very aware of the budget when you're making a film, especially documentaries. There's no room for overruns. You don't have the big Hollywood budgets. And it's allowed me to where I'm proud to say uh, I have rarely gone over budget. In fact, I've never gone over budget on a film unless there's been a reason that, you know, where the producer asked us to do something different. But it's really a pleasure because I find the creative side of directing, writing, and producing film is, is almost an outlet uh, similar to, you know, someone painting or something when, when the finance part gets crazy because the finance industry is, is very stressful. And so yeah. I, I really enjoyed being able to do both. All women going into leadership in any career should watch Man Killer. And yeah. that is a film that Gail and I made for PBS. Just two weeks ago, it became available on Apple TV and iTunes. So Mankiller, you can download it personally very easily. It really tells the story of a Native American leader. She was the first female elected principal chief of the Cherokee Nation, which is my heritage. Her story is one of challenge after challenge from poverty and displacement, health issues, uh, divorce, everything you could think of that a woman could face. And yet, instead of letting them get her down, she used them as building blocks to become this amazing leader. It gave her strength. And she was involved with the Black Panthers in San Francisco and the takeover of Alcatraz. So really believing in grassroots organizing. But I think what was so important when we released the film, it was right in the middle of the real divisive politics that we're still in, unfortunately, in this country. And her message was one of working together. She believed in reaching across the aisle, men and women working together, Native Americans working with all of their races and backgrounds and religions. And her message is so compelling about the productivity and success of being able to work together and really take this 365 degree view from people that don't agree with you and and being able to incorporate it into solutions. Tell me a little bit more about how you think money and finance and wealth, what's the intersection with that and social justice? You've hit on my passion. I like to quote someone I saw speak recently, and he went on stage right before I was prepared to speak on this topic. And he said his foundation was currently focused on sort of five pillars of need. Uh, The fifth one was economic inclusion and and eliminating the wealth gap. And he said, but let me just stop and say, if we solve the last one, we solve all the others. 
And it's absolutely true. I've been involved for so long with my own community and just have witnessed the cycles of poverty. And over and over again, you see everything that happens is often tied to a historic lack of access to capital. And I'm not talking about just throwing money at a problem. I'm talking about true generation of wealth that can be passed down generationally, that can be utilized in the community, that can um, encourage economic development. So not handouts, not one-off programs to make people feel good, but I'm talking about serious transfer of wealth to both women and people of color. 97% of our assets are managed by white male-led companies and historically That's the one demographic that's been given the opportunity to garner wealth in this country through corporate growth. And my mission in life, as long as I am here, is to to really shift that and in ways that are meaningful. So we're actually talking trillions of dollars. It's not a one-off program. And and I want to be clear, I support one-off programs and philanthropic programs. We, We need those and we need small community investment and support. But I'm talking about changing Wall Street and and changing the system altogether. Fantastic. I am cheering you on and want to be a part of that journey. And I hope everybody listening to this really understands there's a role for all of us to play in this. You have so many accomplishments. Is there one that you're most proud of? Well, that's easy, Julie. And I think you would say the same. So Kurt and I have been married 40 years and in Hollywood, you know, they say that that's like records, <laughs> You're setting records, it's like a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. And we have three beautiful children and, you know, running businesses because, you know, we're both entrepreneurs while we were raising three children who like their father all decided to go into athletics. So you can imagine the schedules we had. <laughs> Um, How many miles did you put on that car and you ran on the benches? (laughs) Um, But, you know, what it meant is sometimes I didn't get much sleep because we refused to put our business ahead of our children. So if I had to come back in the middle of the night to get something done, I would. But our children to this day, you know, can't believe that we made every athletic event, every play, every poetry reading, you know, what every student teacher conference and usually together, usually both of us there. So we were very, very involved and very engaged. And I'm happy to say that I have three beautiful, amazing adult children that are very engaged in their societies and very successful. And I just couldn't be happier. But I think as a career woman, there's often that question of, of, do I have the time to do both? And can I make my family and my marriage a priority? And unfortunately, I see women that are able to make the children a priority, but not the marriage. And as you know, someone else who's been married a long, long time, we have to work on the marriage as well. That relationship is, is very foundational through everything I've done that I have this wonderful uh, long-term marriage and beautiful family. Well, I think more and more, I think people are starting to really recognize it. It's coming out in books, you know, your who you choose as your life partner. It becomes one of the most influential and important decisions you make in a lifetime. So, and by the way, any words of wisdom for anyone who is looking for a life partner? Well, it's going to go back to my opening comments. Um, having faith, and it doesn't you know, matter what faith, but I think having a strong faith in a, in a greater power, in a God is important because you will fall short of each other. There is no human being that is going to be perfect in a relationship. I've done things to Kurt and he's done things to me that we look back and go, oh, what were we thinking? You know, something we said, something we did unintentionally, you know, 
But the bottom line is, is we always knew that we came together because we felt that God brought us together and we could just, you know, really ask forgiveness, really come with sort of those principles within our faith. And I do think that has helped hold us together. But then also beyond that, we have such mutual respect for one another and we're both type A's. It's not as if, you know, one of us does a lot of, and the other doesn't. We, we've both been leaders over the years, but having respect for one another's opinions and listening and learning from each other. That's beautiful. How do people find you in the work that you're doing? I think LinkedIn is a good social media. I tend to read that and check it. I don't do a lot of the other sort of more social posts. You're not tweeting all day long? I'm not. I mean, and my kids laugh at me because I'm not even sure I know how to tweet. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, this conversation has been extraordinary. You are such a gift to all of us. For those of you who are listening, if you'd like to um, uh, listen to other episodes, if you subscribe at howwomenlead.com, we'll make sure that we uh, send additional episodes to you, or you can find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at howwomenlead, all one word. I hope that you have gotten a sense of foundational place to jump off and change the world from my dear friend, Val. I am so excited after hearing this, being part of this conversation with you today. So thank you, Val. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.